You know, it's, it's amazing how many people struggle with anxiety these days. It seems like it uh, is only getting worse and not better. And there's always something for us to worry about. There's always something for us to be anxious about. If you just watch the news, you know, you want to get anxiety and worry? Watch the news. It's like they, they, they seem to be only be able to focus on the negative things. But you know what? There's actually so much good going on in the world today that they just choose to ignore. And so there's so many things that could ignite our worries and could ignite our anxieties. But God says, don't be anxious about anything. But in all things, through prayer and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. You know, whenever you say worry, you think, Father, I receive your peace. You know what I'm going through. I thank you that I asked for it and I receive it now. Amen. And we just let his peace surround us. You know, we're not talking about peace this morning, but we could because peace is a big aspect of grace. They flow together. You know, if you want to get into the presence of God, you know what you're going to feel? Peace. Because it can't be separated from him. It surrounds him. Because you know what? He's not anxious about it. He's not worrying about what's going to happen next. He already knows. You know, that's the great thing about God is he's not surprised by what we do or by what we need or what's, what's going on in the world. It says that he saw the end from the beginning and all the parts in between. He knew all the parts of your life. And I'm pretty sure he can help you navigate through it because it may have been a surprise to you, but it's not a surprise to him. But we are going to continue on in our series in grace, and I think we're going to wrap up this week. I'm going to try and wrap it up in a package and put a bow on it as best as I can, which it's just almost impossible to do. But 10 weeks ago, back in the last week of December, we talked about the old hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, That Saved a Wretch Like Me. I once was lost, but now, everyone say now, now, now I'm found. Now I'm found. I'm not lost anymore. I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. We don't live in the land of the blind. We can open, we look from with our spiritual eyes and see exactly what's going on. And that old hymn was written by John Newton in 1779, a long time ago. But I was, I was just thinking a little bit more about it this week. You know, there's really... Uh, the, we can take things and make them something that is so great and make it so boring and so dull. And I was thinking about even just this hymn and the, the rendition that sticks out in my mind is what I would hear at a funeral on the bagpipes. And what, it doesn't produce life. It doesn't produce joy. It reminds me of death and, and loss and, and really screeching chalkboards <laughs> and how the reason why I'm saying this is we can take things that are great and we can turn them into negatives in our lives by the way we treat them and for us things like amazing grace this what should be this great hymn of proclamation is is really been turned into this this hymn of death we sing it at the funeral it, this is not a death song this is about the amazing grace that came to us that this is a song that John Newton wrote because he looked back on his life and said oh my god Yes, God is so good. His grace has transformed me. It's taken what I was. He was a slave trader and turned him into a minister. And he was a, he was a minister that the, the, the Anglican church didn't even want. 
they were like, eh, and finally he found someone and they sent him off to this backwater church and God kept filling the church. They had to keep expanding the church. They had to put a balcony in so they could fit more people because when you let the grace of God shine through you, it becomes attractive. And so amazing grace is not about death and destruction. It's about the life of God that flows to us. And so we have to remember, that's why he wrote it. He wasn't thinking of, you know, squeezing the, the, the bagpipes. And I'm joking with it, but that's really, we can take things that are life-giving and the way that we treat them can produce death and destruction in them. And God says, you know, he gives us the freedom to do that. He leaves us with that choice, but it was not his intention. And so when we think about amazing grace, it really is amazing. Let's, let's move away from the hymn. God's grace really is amazing. And we should never treat it as ordinary. We should never just treat it as like, oh, amazing grace. Oh, yes, God, your grace is so good. You know, I was... Uh, I had all my, my uh, resources spread out before me on my desk this week, and as I was just trying to think, okay, God, what do you want to say this week? And uh, I happened to look down at one of the books that was closed, and the back was facing up, and it was a book on grace. It was called The DNA of God, and on the back were the reviews that people have written of this book, and I don't even remember the guy's name. I'd have to go take, it, take a look at his. His review was, when this gentleman sent me the manuscript of this book, I looked at it and said... Ugh, another book on grace, just what we need. And I was like, oh my goodness, how many times have I been there with the things of God and just thought, oh yes, the love of God. Oh, grace of God. Oh, faith. You know, we can take them and just, just make them so like, oh, do we really need to have another message about grace? And nine weeks into this series, we can take on that attitude. Do we really need another message about grace? But you know what? It's the never-ending grace of God. This won't, this won't be the never-ending series, though, of grace. We will wrap it up. But then he went up, this gentleman in his review went on to say, I had to repent within the first few chapters because I had been treating it as ordinary. And we are so much like that as people. We just take things, we take our kids for granted, we take our jobs for granted, we take the blessings we have in this country for granted. I'm sure there is a lot of people on the other side of the world that would change places with you in a minute. And we are so willing just to be like, oh, another bill. Yeah, but you got a paycheck coming. You know you have resources coming. You know, so we, we are able to take things that should be like produce joy in us and treat them as though they were a dead old thing, not the grace of God. When we think about his unmerited, his undeserved favor towards us, that should produce joy in our lives because it's not based upon how good I've been. It's not based upon how bad I'm in. It's based upon God who never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When I think about how, how God's power and his ability is wanting to work in me and through me that should produce joy because he's wanting to work through me whenever a situation shows up it's another situation to say god let her fly you know these should produce joy in our lives so we've talked about saving grace which is god's ability power and ability to justify us forgive our sins and make us new creatures there needs to be a direct separation from who you used to be before christ to who you are now because that person he dead he's dead 
It says that he died with Jesus and the life that we now live, we live by the faith of the Son of God. It's no longer I that lives. I love another translation that says that this existence that I now, now am enjoying is simply God using my body. And that's what he's wanting to do. He's wanting to do God things through you. So there needs to be a separation of who we used to be before grace and who we are now. There needs to be a separation of what was possible before and what is possible now because the rules that you play by have changed. When we talked about his sanctifying grace, which is God's power and ability to transform and preserve us. It enables us to live holy lives in a corrupt world. Then we talked about strengthening grace, which is God's power and ability to energize and inspire us to live victoriously and to reign over the challenges and circumstances of life. Whatever you're facing, you can win. Because his grace inside of you and working through you can cause you to live victoriously and reign. Then we talked about serving grace last, which is God's power and ability to serve him and others with divinely imparted gifts and aptitude. God gives you what you need. If he's asked you to do it, he's equipped you to do it. He never asks us to do something we cannot do. Isn't that good? Never. Never. Never, 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 never. We should put some more emphasis on it. God will never ask you to do something you cannot do. But there's many times where I feel like I'm like, oh, I can't do that. That means God has a bigger picture of me than I have of me. And so sometimes we have to expand our horizons, expand our visions. I like the, the prayer of Jabez that says, expand my tent pegs. We think of ourselves like this when God is saying, um, I created you and I designed you for much, much more. Amen. Let's look at these four of the aspects of grace so a little bit differently. We can see saving grace keeps us from being lost. Sanctifying grace keeps us from being contaminated. I like that one because there's a lot of Christians who, create, who treat the world like you need to keep them on a 10-foot pole. Don't come near me. I don't want your world stink getting on me. You know, I've known a lot of Christians like that, that they completely isolate and separate themselves from everything else. How can you win the world if you never go, are with them? What was Jesus' accusation that they gave against him? He's always with the sinners and the tax collectors. And they thought he should be with the righteous and the holy. And he said, uh, the sick need a doctor, not the well. So we don't need to separate ourselves and isolate ourselves. We do need to be understanding who's influencing who. But you cannot be contaminated. The grace of God keeps you saved. Then the strengthening grace of God keeps us from being defeated. The serving grace of God keeps us from being unproductive. That's if you choose to be un not unproductive. Some people don't want to do anything, and that's their right. They can do that. God allows them to it. But the grace of God in you, when you let it loose, will cause you to be productive. I like this one. Saving grace is God's impartation of forgiveness. What is impartation? It basically means his transference or his transmission. Basically, he took his forgiveness and gave it to you. The sanctifying grace of God is God's transmission or impartation of holiness. The Bible says, be ye holy 
holy as I am holy. And we've put that up as kind of like a, a, something we have to aim for. You know, I've got to be good enough and I've got to try and be holy. God was not saying it as a benchmark. He was saying it as a reality. I'm holy and guess what? So are you. He's imparted it to his children. Strengthening grace is God's impartation of might and serving grace is his impartation of ability. It's always his might, his ability, his holiness, his forgiveness, and it's no different. It's also his righteousness. It says that he died, took on sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. It's his righteousness. Everything that we have is his. It's been given to us from him. Even the faith we use is not our own. So we don't have to be like, oh, how can I do that? You've got the tools. He's given you the best ones out there. And last week we said that the activating factor of grace is love. Because it was his motivation in sending Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave. It was everything that he is. God does not have love. He is love, is what the Bible says. So we can look at him this way. Saving grace is love rescuing. Sanctifying grace is love cleansing, and strengthening grace is love empowering, and serving grace is love assisting. He'll assist you so that you can assist others. And so love is at the basis of everything grace is. And we could say so, 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 so much more. We could go weeks more. We didn't even talk about sharing grace. Pastor Robin mentioned a little aspect of it, but it says that, that uh, he gave all that he had. And it says that if he who gave his own only son, how shall he not freely with him give us all things? Romans 8.32. Grace shares God's things with you. But we didn't have time to get to that. And maybe we'll do it down the road. You know, there's other aspects of serving grace we could have talked to. When we even talk about the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you know, like they, they we call like the you know, like words of wisdom, words of knowledge. We call them spiritual gifts, but the word gifts is actually charismatas, which means grace gifts. They flow from the Holy Spirit by the power of grace. And so there's so much more we could say, but I want to spend the rest of the time we have this morning answering this question. Is it possible for me to experience more grace than I am right now? And we'll go ahead and answer the question is, yes. God is not the limiting factor. We are. And so we can leave grace at salvation or we can let it flood every area of our lives. We can draw from his grace on a daily basis. And that's one of the conversations Gail and I have had throughout this whole series is the emphasis on God's daily grace. And I've prayed it several times, and we'll take a minute right now and say, God, right now, we receive your grace. We thank you for, you, for the grace you have for us right here in this moment. We receive it by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You can receive grace for every moment. You got a problem that just cropped up in your life that you didn't see coming? God, I thank you for your grace. Amen. Starting to feel sickness come on your body? God, I thank you for your grace. You need wisdom to make a decision? God, I thank you for your grace. You can receive grace at any moment. Did God limit when you could get saved? And that was accessed 
by grace through faith. So how do you access His grace? By faith, every moment, every day. Grace is freely given, but it's not automatically enjoyed. If we go back to the picture of salvation, no one made you do it. Though the grace of God has been there all your life to do it. So maybe there's more grace in your situation than you've recognized. Actually, I have to tell you, there's a lot more grace in your situation than you've recognized. Because he said, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And in the Greek, it actually means super abundantly abounds. Meaning, there was what you needed, and then there was how much more extra God dumped on top of it. So you'll have more grace every day than you will ever need. And that includes all of us individually and all of us corporately. God saw everyone throughout history who would ever exist and said, they'll need this much grace, and then here's a whole bunch more that they don't need. It's as if you are in an ocean of grace. But sadly, some of us are dying of thirst. And we've got all that we need around us. So a better question than can I, uh, that I said, can we walk in more grace than we are right now? A better question might be this. How can I make sure that I'm walking in the awareness of God's grace? Accessing and benefiting from it and growing in it. Everyone say awareness. awareness. Now, I am not naive. I know that by the end of this message, some of you will already have forgotten what I've said. By the end of the day, some others. By the end of the week, it'll be as if this series was never preached. What is in consciousness, consciously in front of you is what you'll be aware of. So what happens now at the end of this message is you can choose to integrate grace into your life on a daily basis. Or you can choose to forget Something that I've started doing is exactly what we already prayed this morning. Every day I wake up and I say, I thank you for your grace, God. But you know what? I forgot by day two. And it was about halfway through the day I was like, God, I thank you for your grace. I should have started in the morning. So what I ended up doing is I set a reminder to remind myself of the grace of God. But you know, now we're 10 weeks since we started this series, I don't have to remind myself, I've made it a habit. So your awareness of the situation will determine what you're going to draw from it. If you forget from this moment, grace is not going to benefit you until you all of a sudden have that moment again, oh, I need God's grace in this moment. But you could have been walking in it up until that point. So awareness is important. In John 1.16, which has been one of our anchor scriptures, it says, and of his fullness, we have all received. Everyone say have. have. Meaning that's what you already possess, not what you're aiming for. And grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. Notice it did not say grace and truth came with Jesus but rather through him. Jesus is a conduit of God's grace. Where does Jesus live? In you. He said he'd come and he'd make his home in you forever. So the conduit of grace flows through you. I like what uh, Scottish theologian Sinclair Ferguson said. He said, grace is not a thing. 
It is not a substance that can be measured or a commodity that can be distributed. It is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In essence, it is Jesus himself. You know, I like how Joseph Prince says, he said, grace is a person and his name is Jesus. You want to have more grace? Develop your relationship with Jesus. And so our awareness of grace increases with our awareness and our relationship with Jesus. Jesus, just like your spouse or a friend or a family member, your relationship can get deeper. It can become more fruitful. You can get to know them more the more time you spend with them. And so your ability to access grace is only limited by your willingness to grow in your relationship with God. Let's read John 1.16 out of the Amplified, though. It says, For out of his fullness, or his abundance, we have all received, we've all had a share, and we're all supplied with one grace after another, and spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, and even favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. So there was the initial gift, and he just keeps loading, and loading, and loading, and loading, and loading. I love how the, the, the psalmist recognized that he says, my God daily loads me with benefits. Even if you didn't use yesterday's, he still daily loads you with more. He heaps it one upon another, grace upon grace, spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, favor upon favor, gift upon gift. But I had this realization as I was thinking about this, that grace is kind of like marriage. Anybody going to ask why I think that? (laughs) On the day you were married, Robin's like, oh my God, what is he going to say right now? It's all good, darling. It's all good. On the day you were married, you were fully married. Right? There was no half married. There was no quarter married. You were married. Or I should say, on the day you get married, for those of you who aren't, you are fully married. There's no half in, half out. It's full marriage. But how many of you know that relationships can either grow or decrease based upon how you value them and treat them? You can have a wonderful marriage or you can have a hell-filled marriage if you so choose to based upon how you push your spouse's buttons. That was me pushing your buttons, not the other way around. I wasn't like, hell! No. I was sitting on Friday morning... I've been spending a lot of time with Montgomery, on fi- our youngest, on Friday mornings. And we go out for breakfast, and we were sitting at this restaurant, and it was us surrounded by all these other t- tables of older married people. And I, it was just like my eyes were open to recognize how different a marriage can develop over time. We have the silent marriage. <laughs> they were there when we got there. They were there after we left. They did not speak a single word to each other the entire time. They just... We had the fighting marriage behind us. (laughs) Fighting over, I'm going to put you in a home. If you don't... They were an older couple. And then we had across from us 
we had the, 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 the loving relationship couple. They came in and they saw Montgomery and he was like, hey, and they were like, hey, and they're talking with him and they're playing with him. He's smiling and they're like, oh, is that your car? And then they, after they finished with us, they sat down and they were talking so lovingly with each other. This is what we're going to do. How about next week we maybe head off to Florida? And, you know, they were just so communicative and their, their relationship was just like, that's just what marriage is supposed to be. Such love, such giving back and forth. There was communication. In the middle, they had a bit of a fight, but it was in a loving way. And I was just like, God, you couldn't have given me a better example of grace. It will grow in your life based upon how you value it. Just like your marriage will grow based upon how you value it. When Robin and I got married, we met and married in five months. And so when we got married, there was still a lot of getting to know each other that needed to take place. And eight years later, there's still a whole lot of getting to know each other that still takes place. But it's something that, as a married couple, you need to commit to, that we're going to put the relationship first. The grace of God is no different. The more you value it and the more you draw from it, the more it grows. And so you get 50 years down the road and your relationship is stronger than it's ever been. But everybody's met the couple that they've become more glorified roommates than they are have been a couple. Because how you draw from each other and how you value the relationship changes. Grace of God is no different. It can grow in your life. You can enjoy it more and more. Or you can cut off the flow. So in the time we have remaining, we're going to talk about the five ways that the Bible says to access and receive more grace. And number one should be no surprise, it's faith. Because that is how you were saved. You were saved by grace through faith. And Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith faith into the grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God so it's here it basically is describing that ocean that I talked about you stand in the ocean of grace but God leaves the choice up to you whether or not you want to draw from it now what is faith faith is not some convoluted equation that you have to go through it's simply saying I believe you God that's all faith is. That's what you did at salvation. I believe you did what you said you did, and I receive you. That was as simple as faith is. And so accessing more grace by faith is simply as what we've already prayed. God, I receive grace today. I access your grace. His grace offers himself and his blessings while faith accepts it receives and it lays hold of what he is freely offering. Faith, contrary to the way a lot of people preach it, is not, does not move God. God has already moved. He's already provided. He's already done everything he's going to do and he signaled it on the cross when he said, it is finished, meaning I've done the work I needed to do. He's done everything he needs to do. You just need to grab hold of it by faith. Grace is Jesus saying, I provide, and faith is us saying, I receive. Grace says, because I love you, I have provided for you. And faith says, because you love me, 
I believe and I receive your provision. That's the simplicity of how God has made it grace and faith. He does the work and you receive it. Whatever it is you need, if you find it in the Bible of what he said he's given it to you, you just say, Father, I receive what you have provided. That's the simplicity of walking in more grace right now, today. Romans 5.1, as we've said, says we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand. You want a good picture of what access means? Grace has provided a doorway. Faith opens the door and walks through into it. Every day you have the opportunity to keep your door of grace closed or open it wide. I think of that song, fling wide you heavenly gates. God's not the one standing up there saying, oh, I hope they ask me to open the doors. No, he unlocked them and he sat down and said, come on in whenever you want. Second way the Bible says that we receive more grace, and that is the knowledge of God. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, it says, grace and peace be multiplied. So we're not even talking about addition. He said, you want to multiply grace in your life? Be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Now the word that he used here in the Greek for knowledge means full knowledge. And it's not referring to facts and information, but personal intimacy and experience. There's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. There's a difference of you knowing who Robin is than versus how I know Robin. Knowing all about her personality, her quirks, what ticks her off, and being able to push those buttons for some of my enjoyment sometimes. No. There's a difference. Yeah, he says yes. <laughs> There's a difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. There's people that are celebrities that we think we know. But when you see them behind the scenes, you're like, oh, you're not anything like what I thought you were. Because we think we know, but there's a difference in knowing. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. This is what Paul said about himself. He says, yet I indeed also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So Paul said, I will gladly heap up everything up in my life, set it on fire, count it as, the word actually used there is dung, not rubbish, I will count them all as a big pile of dung. My life is nothing. I just want to know God. The reason why is the more you understand and get to know God, grace becomes a no-brainer. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, many people approach God saying, why would he? When you understand grace, you say, why wouldn't he? The more you understand the character of God, and that's where we're going next. The next series we're going to start is talking about the character and the attributes of God. Because we as Christians are just as bad as the world of making God out to be something he isn't. And giving him attributes and making him be like a man. And we're like, God's like, I didn't say that's who I was. 
Nothing in my experience with man has ever said that I'm that, so why do you call me that? So we're going to start looking at the attributes of God, because the more you know God, grace is a no-brainer. Paul prayed for the Ephesians in chapter 3, verse 6, and he says, I pray from his, that from his glorious unlimited resources. I love that. This is a start. I'm praying, God, that you, from your unlimited resources, that's the God who says you're his kid. He says that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him, and your roots will go down into God's love. What is the, motive, the activating factor of grace? Love. And keep you strong. It says, and may you have the power to, everyone say it with me, understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. And may you, everyone say this with me, experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, meaning we can spend our whole lives trying to understand the depths of God and never get there, and we'll be doing it for eternity. And it says, and then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. So the two words that we need to pull out is understand and experience. Now, I know that airplanes fly, but I don't understand completely how. I know there's lift involved. I know there's thrust involved. I don't know where to set my flaps. I don't know what power setting it needs to be on. I don't know how long the runway needs to be. I have a very general understanding. You should, could say, I know about air flight. I do not understand how it does, nor do I have experience with how, how to fly. But let me know, or let me tell you this. When I get on a plane, you better hope that the pilot understands that and that he has experience with that. Anybody want to get behind a pilot who's never actually flown the airplane? No, let them practice on their own time, not on mine. And it's like that with God. You can know about him, but we've been called to understand him. That is possible. And to experience him. And the more we do, it's like we get in the pilot seat beside him. We know exactly where to put the power. We know where to put the flaps. We know what runway we need to be taken off of. We know how to soar. Right. Understanding and experience takes you to those places. The third way the Bible tells us to access more grace, humility. Now, when we talk about humility, we'll start right from this point. It is not the false humility garbage that religion. I'm a worm. God, I'm not worthy. Um, God called you worthy, and he didn't call you a worm. He called you a son and a daughter. So when we talk about humility, he's not talking about making yourself garbage. But James said this in 4.6. He said, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So he says, therefore, submit to God and resist the devil. He will flee from you, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So James tells us that God resists pride, but he gives grace to humility. Now, what is humility? Humility is simply saying, God, you're much bigger than me. You're much smarter than me. You know exactly what to do. Let's do it your way. That is humility. 
Peter said the exact same thing. He said in chapter 5, verse 5, Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves. I love that. Peter's like, God embraces those who are humble, so humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Most people think I need to bring myself low, but by submitting to God, he brings you up. The prideful man says, it's okay, God, I can do it myself. And if you've had those thoughts past, you know, we don't often express these things. But we often go into situations without even considering how would God approach this versus how I'm about to approach that, which means that we're, we have a little more confidence in our own ability. It's okay, God, I've got it. You don't need to drive even though you're the perfect driver. Let me, Jesus, take the wheel is what Carrie Underwood. Jesus isn't going to take the wheel, but you need to understand it'd be great if he's sitting beside you coaching you what to do. I love what Dwight L. Moody said, and it, this, 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 what I'm about to tell you, I, when I said it, when I read it for the first time a few months ago, I went, oh, I never thought about that. And it just really floored me. It's this, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. <laughs> if you've got no room for God, he's got no place for you. Because it's either we open up our hearts and say, God, squish everything else out fourth way that the Bible says to grow in grace, and that is through boldness. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 says, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness. I love that. He understands. Because he faced all the same testings as we do, yet he did so without sin. So, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help when we need it most. Never, ever, 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 ever are the doors of heaven closed to you. He says to come boldly. That is how I think when I'm in regards to my children. My kids don't go, um, Daddy, knock at the door. In the morning, gummy, thump, 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 boom, the door bursts out, and he flops himself up, and he mauls right over top of you. I'm here, Daddy. There's no fear. He didn't ask, are you busy? Can I come in? You know, you're on the phone with someone. It's just, I heard Daddy's home. Thump, 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 thump. I love how you can always tell which child is coming by how they walk. Harrison is thump, 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 thump. Pierce is thump, slap, thump, slap, thump, slap. Gummies, thump, 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 thump. And Pierce's, or Bennett, Bennett is the sneaky one. The only reason you know Bennett's doing something is because you hear the rapper. Like, Bennett, get off the counter. But children are not afraid to come before their parents ever. It's just like, yeah, let's do this. And that's how God wants us to be as his children. You need, you come. That's the simplicity of it. In Acts chapter 4, we found 
Peter and John had been pulled before the council of Jerusalem because they healed the man. I think that's a good reason to get pulled before people, but they weren't happy. And it says the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures, and they recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Boldness was also a byproduct of the relationship they had with Jesus. So if you put your relationship with God first, boldness is not a problem. It says the righteous are as bold as a lion. And so they took them, Peter and John, and they beat them. And then they threw them out and said, don't preach in that name of Jesus ever again. And what did they do? They got right up. They dusted themselves off. They went right back to their own people. They said, hey, guys, let's all get together. And they began to pray. And they said, God, give us boldness so that we can preach your name, that we can stretch forth our hand to heal so that people will see you and you will be magnified. And that's exactly what happened. It says the place where they were was shaken. You ever been a prayer, in a prayer meeting where the place began to shake? You know, we need to get back to having some good old times with God. Let the place be shaken. Let things be shaken. Let things crumble around you because of the power of God. And so it says the place was shaken and then they went out and preached with boldness. So it wasn't just, here, God, I'm going to ask for boldness, and then I'm going to sit on my butt and do nothing. They asked for boldness, they got boldness, and they used boldness. The fifth way that God says to draw, for us to draw more grace is simply love. You know, that really makes sense, seeing as the activating factor of grace is love. It says here in Ephesians 6.24, Grace be with all of those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love. Let me ask you this, is your love corruptible? Yes. So he's not asking you to love him with your love, because your love changes every day. But we are to love with the love he's given us. Romans 5.5 5 says he's poured his love. Again, his forgiveness, his faith, his love. We don't do it with our own tools. He didn't ask you to pack the bag of tools. He packed it for you. And it says, we love because he first loved us. So the question we were asking is, can we walk in more grace than we are right now? And the answer is yes. My question to you is, do you want to? That's the answer that I can't give you. Because what happens now from the end of this series to what you continue to walk in for the next months and years of your life is what do you want to receive from him? The grace of God is always on the table, just like it was at salvation. So what is so amazing about grace? What's not amazing about grace? And when we say we're ending this series, you'll probably hear about grace in every message that we ever preach. Because grace is not a topic, it is the gospel. Just like you'll hear about faith in every message that we ever preach, because it requires faith in everything that you do. You'll hear about love in every message, because love is what God is. You'll hear about hope, because when you know about grace, faith, and love, how can you not have hope? So there's certain things that aren't really topics, they're just, oh, that's just the gospel. 
That's just what we preach. Now, maybe you're at home this morning and you've been hearing us preach about grace for these last few weeks. You know, grace is just simple. You open your heart and you receive it. And that's what is needed first before any other relationship with God is you need to receive his grace. You start in your relationship. So we want to pray with you this morning. We just want to say, God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the grace you sent with him. We receive it. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer this morning with us for the first time, please get in contact with us. We would love to get some resources into your hands and get you hooked up with a good church in your area. But you guys, you all have the option every day, every moment. It's not even a daily thing. It's a moment-by-moment -moment thing. You need grace. Grace is there. So why don't we all stand up this morning? And let's lift up our hands to God. God, we know that we've begun a journey here in talking about grace with this, for this year. That you put it on my heart that we start this year in grace because you know we need it. We need your grace. We need it every moment. We need it every hour. We need it every day. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to have this message take root in our hearts. Show us when it is we need us. Bring to our remembrance when we need it in that moment. And so we thank you for it, in Jesus' name, amen. You guys are all blessed. Let's have a wonderful week. Let's have some coffee and fellowship.